Hello friends! This is Laura Van Arndonk and I still don't have a catchphrase. Uh, so I want to welcome you to tonight's stream, which I am a little discombobulated, uh, and so I apologize in advance. I have been trying to um, put things together when I discovered that this was not going to be a multicast after all, so we're just on Twitch tonight. I apologize for the chaos if you were seeing my uh, several frantic messages on various social media. Hopefully you have found your way here, and uh, we will... Uh, take it as it comes because that's that's how we do things. That's how we roll. So I just have a couple of real quick housekeeping things before we get into the meat and the fun of tonight. Uh, so uh, first up, um, huge, massive thank you by, uh, for all of you guys who were here and somehow made me a Twitch affiliate in like three weeks, which is insane. So I am just thrilled and, and so very, very grateful. And that was... Uh, did not get enacted because, again, I was supposed to multicast tonight, and part of uh, the affiliate terms of service is that there will be no simultaneous streaming, and I was supposed to have Susan on tonight and promised that that would be on YouTube. Well, that didn't work out for various YouTube reasons, so uh, so we are just doing it on Twitch tonight, which means I ran through the affiliate thing as fast as possible so that you guys could get loyalty points for viewing tonight's stream, which is great because that's how I'm going to be doing the giveaways, and uh, I don't know if... If you didn't see them before, I have so many things to, I have no idea if this is showing on camera. Look, these are for the writing craft uh, talks and I have lots more stuff. And so those will be going out over the next few weeks, few weeks and, um, and they will be done through the, the, the points. So you get points just by watching or for interacting and various things. So uh, you don't have to do anything except be here. So that, hopefully that is all working as of now and you can get it for the stream. Uh, so... Yeah, and then I don't know. I should have. I should be more organized. I should have a list. <laughs> so, if you are not on my newsletter, please go ahead and get on that, and also uh, on Susan's newsletter, and we'll talk about uh, where those are later tonight. Speaking of, we have a guest tonight. Um, guest. It sounds so weird to say guest when I don't feel like I like guest implies a show, and it's really just like me talking. So I don't know if that's a sh whatever. So anyway, the point is we have Susan Spann tonight and I am absolutely delighted uh, to, to be chatting with Susan. I'm a little bit giddy, probably showing. Um, so Susan is a friend of mine. We actually uh, met because we both write uh, stories set in historical Japan and then it went from there and I'm just going to nerd out for the next however long we're here uh, with Susan. I do want to throw up very, very briefly. Actually, you know what? Let me... Let me bring Susan in first. And we're going to do that now. Hey, hi, Susan. Hello, how are hi. you? And I can hear you. Life is fantastic. Okay, so very, very quickly, um, I just want to mention uh, Susan is live from Tokyo, and uh, then I am restreaming out to you guys. So there is a little bit delay, of, a little bit of delay in the uh, in the chat. Which, by the way, I just noticed Grace is uh, here. Hi, Grace. Thanks for stopping by. Am I wearing TARDISes? I am not wearing TARDISes. Um, I don't know where you're asking, but there are no there are no TARDISes. Oh, if these are these. These are not TARDISes. They're just cute. But thanks for stopping by. Um, Grace, meet Susan. Susan, meet Grace. This is thoroughly international Grace. right now. Grace is in New Zealand. Uh, Susan is live from Tokyo. And where I was going with that is there is a little bit of a streaming delay. Um, so by the time we see your chat. We've actually probably moved on for 20 seconds or so. I noticed during Gen Con, sometimes it could be quite significant uh, delay. So if we keep talking, it's not that we're ignoring your question. I'll, I'll run back and grab it. <laughs> uh, just there's a little bit of a delay, so just be aware. And sorry, Susan, I was going to tell you that in advance and you found out just now. So I apologize. Um, oh, I know it. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. All right. So um, with that said, uh, we're going to launch... And part of the reason that I asked Susan here is she has a new book, which is largely an excuse, but we're going to start with it and run with it as a, you know, legitimate excuse. And I'm going to hope that it, come on, come on, there we go. She's like, oh no, come on, please, please focus, focus. Oh, there it comes. Okay. Ta -da. So, um, so my copy actually hasn't arrived yet. I ordered um, even my ebook copy didn't come through. So I need to have a small tantrum so that we just have that picture. That's what we've got to work with today. Uh, but, all good. um, oh, Hey seeker. Thanks for waving. 
Um, so Susan, I'm going to let you introduce the book because you're going to say it so much better than I have. I, I've tried to encompass so many themes every time I talk about it. And I just end up kind of sounding, uh, I, I just keep saying it's better than what I'm making it sound like. So <laughs> I'm going to let you do the, do the <laughs> encapsulation of it, please. Okay. Um, so the book is titled Climb, Leaving Safe and Finding Strength on 100 Summits in Japan. And it basically summarizes what happened after I decided that I was going to break away from fear and stop living a life that was ruled by fear and ruled by the things I couldn't do and attempt to pursue my dream to climb 100 famous Japanese mountains in a single year, having never climbed a mountain before in my life. And then right after I decided to do it, I got diagnosed with cancer. So that became part of it, too. But as, as you say, it's 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 many things, but ultimately what I really hope that it is is uh, fairly fast-paced, surprisingly, even though I wasn't, uh, adventure in the mountains and culture of Japan. And I hope something that will make people realize that if you dare to dream, you can change your world. And thank you for that sweet, sweet segue, because one of the things I wanted to mention is, you know, I, I'm doing this video channel um, for in a variety of things, because I'm generally bad at branding. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was, um, is my own work because it's the me show. It's all about me. And while I am terrible at branding and I do waste way too many things and I'm unfocused, the thing that always, always, always is in, is in there somewhere is somebody discovering they have agency that they didn't know they had. And I realized that that is the absolute perfect tie in to bring you in because I mean, I, as you said, like, <laughs> Oh, I've never climbed a mountain before. I think I'll do a hundred in a year. Like what, what is that? Like, I want to make a life change. I light a scented candle. Okay. You want to make a life change. You swap hemispheres and <laughs> climb two mountains a week. So, um, I feel like that is a, uh, <laughs> legitimate, um, uh, uh, invocation of finding agency that you had not, uh, had not anticipated. Uh, we have a couple more people in the chat. I'm just going to say hello real quickly. We have Nan Van. Hello. Hello. And, uh, Pastor Chris, um, coming in from NorCal. So uh, fantastic. Okay. Hey, Chris, that's going to be, I know him. Yeah. Hey. hey. So all the waves. Yay. Um, so with, with that as, uh, as the, uh, uh what am I trying to say? The, the springboard, I guess, of, you know, you, you, and, and I'll just say, you know, coming back as somebody, you know, I met you some years ago and you were from the outside looking in, you had, you had success. You were an attorney, you were a successful author, you had a series running, I wanted to be you, you know, all of this is going on, but you said it didn't feel like that inside. No. Yeah. So, um, so I guess what, what prompted that change? Because that's a pretty huge change to, I mean, you were traveling to Japan regularly, but then to be like, Hey, I'm going to move here and climb two mountains a week. Um, you know, it, what, what was the tipping point that actually set you over there? You know, I, I think it really was just finally deciding to listen to my heart. I mean, for years, for years, I had just fallen in love with Japan. My heart would ache every time I would come back and look at my photos from my trips, from my research trips, I, I would just, it would hurt. It would physically hurt. And I could only think about being there, but I was too afraid to really admit to myself that I wanted to be something, you know, something more than uh, a lawyer. That was this, what I was doing for my day job. And that I wanted to go try to do this thing that was real. I had spent my whole life not doing anything real. You know, I write books. I love to be in my fantasy worlds. Uh, I love to read books, but I had never dared to step outside that and do something concrete. And I finally decided that I was tired of being afraid. I was tired of worrying about what if I was tired of every single decision in my life coming from a place of fear. And the only way I could think of to face that was to throw everything into the wind and jump out without a net and see what life would bring. There, there is something to the, you know, burn the ships approach. You know, we're, we're going to try this and we're going to make sure that, if I, if I decide to go forward, there is no going backwards. So I have to continue forward, but, uh, but that's not the, that's not the fun and easy way to do it. <laughs> like that's, so I, I think that's go ahead. I was too scared for a new weather way though. I mean, I, I was too frightened to do it at all. 
And literally the only way really was, you know, burn the ships. Let's do we're going forward. Yeah. Well, and I am, uh, I, like I said, I, I, it's, it's such a huge, huge thing. And then I'm giving, so the slight spoilers here, but, um, I already said that you beat cancer in the, in the, in the video promo. So, um, so people know cancer is involved, <laughs> but, but that was a ridiculously fast diagnosis and reaction. And I mean, I remember you messaging me and, and I think if I'm recalling correctly or something like, by the way, I have cancer and I'm having surgery in two days. Like it was, how, how fast was yeah. that? Like, uh, the official diagnosis came on a Monday and I had a double mastectomy the following Thursday. So three days. That's insane, by the way, like that, that's, <laughs> I, I, I mean, just throw some judgment from over here on the side of the ocean. But I mean, but that's the, and if I recall correctly, that was right before you moved to Japan, right? Like how, what was the time frame there? And yeah. In fact, I signed the book contract. What happened was I was, I signed the book contract. I had the idea to do it. I started getting things started in, um, I started actually making preparations. You have to have a visa, obviously, to come over here. You can't just, you know, willy nilly for a year. And so I had to come over and sign my visa contract. So I had airplane tickets for December 20th. And on November the 6th, I went in for a routine mammogram just to get that out of the way. And on November the 7th, I found out that that was, um, did not go as planned. <laughs> they found uh, cancer, which was malignant. And then on the 10th, I had a double mastectomy and I was on a plane for Tokyo on the 20th because, you know, as you do, um, you know, I had just signed the contract. I was, I was moving forward and I just thought, well, I talked with my oncologist and he had said that we would, I did not stay by the way, in Tokyo in December, I came back for treatment. Um, but my oncologist just said, you know, this is, you're going to climb hundred mountains. This is 101. And it's the first one and it will be the hardest, but we're going to get you through it so that you can go. And so we delayed my travel, my moving to Japan by four months so that I could undergo intense chemotherapy. And you know what? We're three years almost down the line and everything's good. That's amazing. And, and just the, uh, I mean, that's a major surgery, double mastectomy. Like that's, that's, that's not a two minute laparoscopic procedure, right? Like, and you know, my, the people I've known who have undergone that, that's a longer, that's a, that's a fair amount of recovery time. And so be like, and I'm going to climb some mountains. Like that is, <laughs> how, what, did you have to make any changes? Did you have to make any alterations in what you were doing? Did it make it, um, I, I mean, just like where, how did that affect things? Because, because that is not how you were planning to do this. Uh, no, uh, it wasn't. So we did, as I mentioned, we had to put a four month delay on coming to Japan in the first place, because after the double mastectomy, even though they did get the cancer, um, it had not moved into my, my immune system. The oncologist recommended because my cancer was what they call triple negative, which means it was not uh, responsive to hormones. So I couldn't take anything. You know, some women can now take a, a pill after they finish their treatment to keep the cancer from coming back, but that wasn't available to me. So I uh, went through a four-month course of very intense chemotherapy. The, we went through the level of chemotherapy for stage two cancer, even though I only had stage one cancer, because we wanted to make sure that we did everything we could possibly do to make to you know to prevent it from coming back. And so my training, which had consisted primarily of walking, because I wanted to be able to be in shape. I basically had to continue that during my cancer treatment. I would give myself the day of the treatment off. And then after that, I started walking again, 2000 steps more every day until I hit over 10,000 steps. And then we'd continue that for a week. And then I'd go back in and get shot full of delightful chemicals and start it all over. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, just, just, just again, it's 101 mountains and, and that most of your other mountains you were able to do in a day, you know, or, or two, if you overnighted on the mountain and, and that was a long haul. So, uh, that's, uh, so that's going to be a part of the book that, uh, is uh, going to be, I, I don't know how to say this, uh, without sounding horribly crass, but unfortunately relatable to a lot of people <laughs> of, of struggling I, with, you know, in some ways, in some ways it made it, 
I'm, I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second in some ways. That's okay. No, no, sorry. I stopped. I was like, oops, I'm talking over. Um, no, I think, it, I think it, it was really important. I think it was actually an important part of the book. And it was also a really good life lesson, which is that when you tell the universe, um, <laughs> I think I'm going to face my fears. Uh, and your biggest fear is actually getting cancer, getting actually breast cancer. Um, be really careful what you ask for, because you might just get it. There's, yeah, there's, there's a certain... Um... God has a sense of humor and I really don't believe it's an evil sense of humor, but there are times when it's an uncomfortable sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well, and I gosh. did, I did, I did actually, you know, I am a person, I'm, I am, I'm a person of faith. And I did actually, when I was getting ready to come to Japan say, you know, God, I'm going to face my fears and I want to, I want to face my fears and come through it and be strong and be different. And, you know, I, I really, that was answered yes in spades. And so, you know, yeah. it was like, okay, well, before I didn't really realize we were going to, and the funny thing was, I, there was a part of me, and I, and I mentioned this in the book, there was a part of me that kind of went, wait, 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 I wanted to say face my fears in a safe way. I didn't mean all <laughs> of them, but, you know, you don't, that's not what life is. And so I'm, it was much better, actually, in some ways that I got to face all my fears at once and kind of move through it. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm, these, this is, this is the part I haven't read and I'm waiting anxiously for mine to come so I can, so I can dig into, dig into that stuff. Um, uh, let's talk about something not cancer for a while. Um, you did, uh, originally you, <laughs> yeah, originally you were talking about doing the, the hundred peaks, like not, not just a hundred peaks, but the hundred peaks, which since yes. I'm going to guess that a lot of our uh, viewers are not familiar with the Yakimazan, could you like summarize that and then talk about where that went? Yes. Um, there was a very famous book in Japan, at least, uh, written in the 1970s by an author and mountaineer called Kyuya Fukada, called Nihon Kyakumezan, which translates roughly to the 100 famous mountains of Japan. And Fukada decided that he had been a mountaineer for a long time, and he decided that these 100 mountains, if you climbed them all, you would learn what the essence of Japanese mountains were. And it has become kind of the gold standard for Japanese mountaineers, but not for a short period of time. Um, in Japan, it's viewed as something that you do over a lifetime. And over that lifetime, you accumulate knowledge and understanding and a spiritual bond with the mountains. And of course, being an American, uh, decided I'm going to do it in a year. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, nobody ever, no woman, um, no, no non-Asian woman had ever climbed them all in a year. And, and to my knowledge, no Asian woman either, because as I said, that's not the way Japanese people do these things. And uh, so I decided I'd do that in a year and realized fairly early on and without doing too many spoilers from the book, uh, not, not too early, about a third of the way into the climbs, but realized that I had to make a choice. I could face my fears or I could achieve a mountaineering first. Um, but I couldn't do both. I could not learn the lessons that those hundred mountains had to teach me if I rushed my way through it. And I came to the decision, which is, was hard being kind of an alpha goal motivated person, which I really am. I mean, like you, you know, you, you, you talk a lot about, about goals and motivation and, you know, how the way I, you know, my personal clicker was achievement of success and, you know, I had to get there and I had to, I had to achieve this, the thing. And so making the shift to address what were for me really issues of personal growth, that was a much harder decision and something I struggle with and struggle with it openly in the book and ultimately decided that the goal was 100 mountains in a year and not living a life of fear anymore. And so that was the direction I decided to proceed. But by the way, I'm, I'm still climbing the Yakumezan. I've climbed two more since I finished the 100 summits. So. That's still so, on the horizon. So it's still going to happen. Just maybe not, maybe not in that first year. So, yes. All right. Um, so what I, uh, so I, and I don't, I don't think I put this, I don't remember if I put this in any of our video promos or not, but I had uh, the absolute delight of getting to go to Japan and climb with Susan at the end of her journey. And that was fantastic. Um, and, uh, one of the things that, that you, uh, you know, explained, you know, I was doing this because, uh, uh, was, was just the, the choosing of the mountains and, and choosing mountains of significance, either culturally or historically or personally. 
And uh, one of, oh man, I probably should have made a script. Okay, <laughs> but but one of the one of the final mountains we did, and I'm totally blanking on the name. I have like two syllables, but um, in Nara, and it's ridiculously it's famous. I'm sorry. Are we talking to the little temples on? No, no, or... no, 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 no. Um, uh, in in Nara, next to uh, next to Mikasa, oh, um, but it's Waka. Wasa what is it? Yes, yes. And I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, I've got two syllables, not enough. <laughs> Where's the rest of it? Um, but uh, but that is, I had so much fun. First of all, I just had a fabulous time walking around, learning. Um, learning so much of, uh, of the local history and significance there, um, because you had the inside track on, on quite a lot of that, and, which I think at some point we're going to have to talk about. But um, even after I came back and I'm looking up more things about where I had been and the, and the significance and the, uh, the festivals and the, and the historical uh, sites there that I had been, I was like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> Great. And um so I know that um, obviously that's a mountain with with cultural significance. Um, uh, uh, Koyasan was, has uh, a lot of uh, historical and cultural significance, and is also one of your favorites. And now uh, I don't know if I get to have favorites, having done like four, three. I'm not even sure. Um, but uh, uh, but if I can say 25% of them is my favorite, the Koyasan would definitely be up there. But can you talk just a little bit about like what? I'm not going to ask you to pick favorite mountains because that's not fair. But uh, if you want to uh, just tell us things like uh, something, something we absolutely need to know about Khoisan or, or something like that to uh, just, just give us a little teaser on what mountains we need to come and read up on. Okay. Well, um, I had a wonderful time on so many mountains because there were so many that were so different from each other. Right. So we did go to Koyasan, which also is home of Japan's largest cemetery. In fact, I ended up making four trips to Koya over the course of my mountain climbing year because Koyasan is sits in a, it's a mountaintop plateau that sits in a bowl surrounded by peaks. And so there were lots of different peaks to climb up there. Um, Koyasan was also the place that I went for a climb that didn't happen. And so the book will talk about that climb that didn't happen and why. And that was a moment of facing mortality that I you know, was not certainly not planning, but ended up being one of the most special experiences that I had. Uh, another thing that was really great was when I was up in Hokkaido, I had the chance to climb up the side of a live of a waterfall. Mount Shari, Sharidake, has an old trail, and the trail actually literally leads right up the side of a waterfall for a little over 100 meters. So you're climbing kind of up this rock face, and the waterfall is just flowing down next to you, and that was a really fabulous moment. Um, that was also where I saw a very famous Japanese animal that I will not mention, because you have to read the book to find out what it was. Teasers. Awesome. It was Pikachu, wasn't it? just right there sitting. Actually, I did see a Pikachu. I actually did see a Pikachu in Hokkaido, but not on that particular climb. Yes. Awesome. Excellent. All right. Um, so you, Tempozan came up just, uh, a a little bit and I, I definitely think we need to go back and talk about Tempozan because I'm going to say this and hope it doesn't sound insulting as spectacular as it was to finish mountain number 100 with you. Mountain 101, I think, was Tempo's, was its own special joy and experience. And um, so, so it was the get, perfect cap. It was the perfect cap. It was, it was ridiculously fun. So, um, so Tempo's on, and feel free to jump in here at any time. I'm just going to uh, mention in Osaka, there is a lump of dirt, <laughs> which uh, was constructed when, uh, when they dredged the harbor uh, a couple centuries ago. Uh, get got the name um, uh, Mount Tempo uh, Temposan, and um, I, I don't even remember how. Do you remember how it got on the geography maps? Uh, the Geological Society listed it as a mountain. Do you remember the, the story behind that? I should have done my research. Yes, um, it was. It was actually created in Japan. You know, international mountaineering standards are that a mountain is supposed to be. I think a thousand meters in order to qualify as a mountain. But Japan has a little bit more um, 
relaxed definition of what qualifies as a mountain. And so anything of geological significance um, or historical or um, religious significance, which is a lot of the mountains in Japan, uh, can be qualified as a mountain. And so the Japanese Geological Survey decided that Tempozan, which was actually created during the dredging of Osaka Harbor uh, yes. during the 18th century, um, even though it is only, you know, very short, uh, did qualify as a mountain. And yes, I've carefully avoided the the actual height because I wasn't sure if you had a way of revealing that or not. But it was it was definitely a challenging climb. Mountain was challenge. <laughs> the challenging part was finding the mountain to climb. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when everything there's actually, in the surrounding area is higher than the mountain. It's it, it really is. Like there's, um, it's great because there are old wood woodblock prints of this mountain, which is in a park next to the harbor. And like, like Susan said, it's been around for a couple hundred years as a, just a, a local park phenomenon, but it has settled over time. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we accidentally climbed the wrong mountain first because it was <laughs> taller than our goal mountain and um we're walking around the park at night and um and there's a ferris wheel with like the character the kanji for hell on it it was just everything was fantastic um it was an evil ferris wheel it's like blood red and- <laughs> it was flashing red in the night like um yeah so uh so anyway the the ascent of tempozan was one of the most thrilling and um and giddy uh, adventures of my of my time there and um and I will let you do the big reveal if you if you choose to here on the exact height of Tempozan. Yeah, well we and 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 actually we are we will be doing a joint I'm just going to throw this out there. We we will actually be doing a joint uh, article blog post about uh this and we'll probably maybe cross posted on both of our, both of our websites uh, shortly uh, to celebrate the release, because this is, I have photographs, or I'm sure you do too, from this event that are just in the archives waiting for the perfect reveal of us ascending this peak, which rises a towering 3.5 meters into the air. <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like to summit- I can spit higher than Zemplazan. <laughs> to summit, you, you go up the side and then there's actually a little lump of you step over and then step down onto the summit of Tempozan. It's, it's, it's a thing of beauty. So, um, yeah, that was, that was the, the there is a summit marker. There is a summit marker. Like we got selfies with the summit marker. It's completely legit. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that is, that is a, uh, I look forward to our, to our, uh, our, uh, expedition log, for that, that it was the, it was the perfect cap. Uh, it really was. And then, um, and then we ate Okonomiyaki, which was also fantastic. And then I went yes. to, um, where was I? Oh, I was at a street festival in New Zealand, um, with Grace, who's in the chat somewhere, um, a couple of months later and they had an Okonomiyaki booth and I got all excited and it was absolutely terrible and nothing at all like what I wanted. Oh. So it was just, it just hurt because I just had such good stuff not that long ago. So, all right. We'll um, do it when you come back, which we'll come back. I, I am going to come back. And, and I wanted to, we were talking about goal setting and whatnot and, um, and traveling. And, uh, so Susan and I were supposed to, with, a, with, a, another friend, Erica, we were supposed to hike the Kimono Kodo this fall. And, uh, that, uh, which is a, uh, pilgrimage trail um, that's uh, what a thousand years old. Um, it's one of two UNESCO yeah. uh, UNESCO designated trails. The other one being the uh, uh, Camino de Santiago. And um, and then just this week, of course, 2020 happened. 2020 right over all of our plans. So, um, but you are still going to make that trip this fall, and then we're going to do uh, we're going to do it again as a group later. Um, but, uh, yes. That's... And by the way, it's in the book as well. I walked, I walked it during my mountain climbing year. So that's, that's actually mentioned in the book. Kamala features in the book as well. Awesome. Awesome. So I was going to ask if you wanted to, um, like give a little teaser about that since, uh, since it is, you know, again, in something of very special historical significance. Uh, yeah, the Kumono Kodo basically is a trail that winds through the mountains of Wakayama Prefecture, which is south of both Tokyo and Kyoto and Osaka. It's south on a little peninsula. 
And it has been walked by retired emperors. It was tradition for the emperor of Japan when he retired from public life. Um, also for a lot of samurai who retired from public life and members of the imperial family, even when they were still active in public life, to uh, go and walk this approximately 100 kilometers, 150 kilometers trail through the mountains as a pilgrimage and stop at the three Kumano Grand Shrines, which are very important shrines to uh, Amaterasu Omikami, the sun goddess, the, the chief deity in the Shinto Pantheon. And so it was a hike that I took originally in 2018 after wanting to do it my whole life um, as, a, as a break and moment of consideration midway through my 100 Summits journey to see where I would you know, to reflect on where I was and where I wanted to go from there. So that, that does feature in the book as well. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, and I wanted to throw open, I don't know if I mentioned, I don't remember if I mentioned this, but if you are here in the chat and you have questions, please throw them into the chat. We're just going to be a little, uh, like I said, possibly slight delay if on seeing them, but, um, this is absolutely open for, for discussion or Q and a or, or funny jokes or, or whatever, uh, jump in at any time. That's fine. Um, Indeed. So, oh, I'm sorry. I just said indeed. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I've you're you're just a little bit quiet on my on my monitor. So if I'm talking, I miss you or I cut you off. So apologies. Um, so let's do uh, let's talk about something else that's that's not the book because uh, since uh, we are friends and I see your social media, um, I know that you have an exhibition coming up in uh, a fairly cool hobby. Um, I don't know. A hobby, a hobby is, is hobby a bad word for that? I don't know. Is that a right word? Tell me, is that, it's, uh, you, it's a, it's not a profession. It's not a vocation. It's uh, but, but hobby, to, hobby to me, I, like when I, as soon as I said, I was like, no, that's when I play my casual phone game. Like that's like, you know, angry birds level of, no. Um, anyway, Susan, uh, you pursue traditional Japanese calligraphy. Please tell us a little bit about what's coming up with, cause I've been seeing your progress and it's really cool. Yes. Thank you. Um, so yes, I study Shodo in, or traditional Japanese calligraphy in here in Tokyo with a master who is very, very, very talented. And, um, she has been, I've been training with her for about three years. I started actually during the hundred summits climbs. In fact, there's a little bit, little bit about Shodo in the book as well. And I study both kanji, which are the Japanese, the Chinese characters used in Japanese writing. And I also study kana, which is the Japanese syllabary. So the hiragana and katakana for people who study Japanese language, um, together referred to as kana, which are phonetic. There is an older form of writing kana that was used in the you know ninth, tenth century, and going forward, a lot of the original novels like Tale of Genji were actually written in in kana or in a combination of kana and kanji, and it's a it's a separate art from writing the the kanji, and so that's that's where I really excel. Although I study them both, and I did f just find out that I have been um, invited to participate in a exhibition that happens annually at the Tokyo Metropolitan Museum of Art. So my work will be displayed there in January, which is really cool. Which is just slightly cool. Like just, just, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. No, that is, that is, that is very cool. And, um, and it, and it makes Susan incredibly useful, um, as a traveling companion, by the way, because it means she's familiar with these older forms of uh, the characters, which then when I'm at a museum and I'm looking and I have no idea what this says and Susan can just read it off for me like that. Yeah, it's great. So, <laughs> so, okay. Um, and the, the way that I, I'm going to jump, jump way back here in time. Uh, the way that I first encountered Susan uh, before we uh, met in person was I read one of her books and then I stalked her on the interwebs and found her. Um, but the, uh, she writes the really fun and I, these are not the first in the series. Can I, can I do this without getting glare? Okay. I think, I think I can do this. These are, these are later in the series, yeah. but they're the ones I've got with the really cool new covers. So that's why I'm showing these off. And then my other ones are an ebook. Uh, so that's a little bit harder to show off, but, uh, the Shinobi mysteries, which are, has one of the best premises. Uh, you have a ninja as a, as your amateur detective who can't tell people how he can solve crimes by knowing how murders are committed, because when you're a ninja, you're not supposed to let that slip. So <laughs> it is one of the greatest, uh, 
premises on I have to solve a crime, but not make it look like I'm solving a crime. Um, and um, <laughs> I, I just, I have a good time with it. And Hiro is working with Father Mateo, who's a Portuguese priest. So there's um, a lot of fascinating cultural historical interplay uh, going on. And uh, so I'm just going to throw out a plug that uh, if you need to catch, uh, catch that, um, you can start with Claw the Cat is the first one, and then uh, and then we'll go. So, oh, I'm sorry. We have a question in the chat that I was happily just rambling on and, and missing. Um, Nan Van, who is my mom. Hi, mom. Um, she asks, uh, Susan, aside from the massive fact of moving to the other side of the world, having cancer surgery, and becoming a mountain new mountain climber on a deadline, what was the most intimidating fa- uh, aspect of moving from the USA to Japan, especially doing so on your own? Um, I think the most intimidating aspect for me, actually, curiously, people people do ask you know, what was the what was the the hardest part of it. Um, the the most intimidating aspect of it of me, for me was dealing with the massive. Well, there were two, right? The internal one was dealing with the massive fear that you know what was I thinking? You know, there's a lot of you. We we all act like oh, and she went out to face her fears and she did it. Now she's not afraid anymore. And and while in the short form that's true, you know, the entire first third of the mountains were very angst filled because one thing that's really true if you you know if you go to face your fears and you do something that's designed to put you outside your comfort zone you will not be in your comfort zone like guaranteed like that's that's, by definition (laughs) yeah it was the point but it wasn't always comfortable in fact it was very often that um the thing physically that was the most difficult was that even though my Japanese, my re- my, I was able to read Japanese when I came over somewhat, um, my Japanese skill was, was very small. And when you go traveling in the mountains of Japan, you know, in Tokyo or in Kyoto, there's a lot of English. And you can really, I, I advocate for people to come to Japan because you can really do a lot here, even if you don't speak Japanese. But when you start going out into the countryside and into places that are not really tourist places, you know, that, that, places that mostly only Japanese people go, then by definition, there's a lot less English. And uh, my language skills faced a very big challenge, a mountain of their own, you might say, Um, especially because when you go out and you're the only non-Japanese person on a mountain, everybody wants to talk to you. They want to know what what you're doing there, where you came from. And, you know, in the beginning, I would answer, I would just stare at people. But, you know, now, now, of course, I've learned and I can talk with them. So that was a challenge, too. So not, um, not, not directly equivalent, but, uh, but related, um, my husband and I went hiking in Ecuador in the Andes, um, a couple of years ago, which was fantastic. So, uh, we did a backpacking trip for several days, but I'm used to being able to get around if I need to in Spanish. You know, I actually lived in Spain for a time. I certainly have perfectly decent enough, you know, tourist Spanish that, uh, that, you know, even if I go to some place that's not peninsular Spanish, I'm going to be, I'm going to be able to, you know, order a meal and get directions, you know, no matter where. But, um, and I can, I can usually have, you know, conversations about hot air balloons or or just random stuff that will come up. But then in the, in this rural, 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 exceedingly rural part of the, uh, the, the Andes and, um, you know, we're trying to find our way and there. Of course, there's no signage. There's, you know, we've got a general idea of maps, but, you know, that kind of thing. And um, and so I'm stopping and, and talking to the you know, farmers and, oh, my gosh, I remember at one point we're trying to figure out our way uh, to to the next village. And I stopped and I asked for help and I had a probably seven minutes of detailed directions from the local farmer. He had three teeth and a kind of uh, Spanish native dialect. And he just kept going for seven minutes. I got one word out of it, just one. And at the end, I thanked him and I turned and I walked away with my husband. I'm like, we're just going to walk until we find something like there was nothing. Um, And, and, but, but it's, we're so used to, and I I think what what was making me think of this is we're so used to in our modern age, having so many fallbacks, um, you know, like English is very prevalent in most international cities. You can, you can find some English signage or, or someone to help you or, or, um, you know, or we'll pull out our, we'll pull out our phone and use a Google translate or, you know, it just any of these things. And it's not, 
those aren't always available. <laughs> and that is a, that is a huge stretch when, um, and, and you're like, oh, I could walk off the backside of this mountain and no one would ever see me. No one would know, like, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so, uh, that's, um, yeah, that's, it just made me think of it when you were talking about being out in the rural area and in needing, needing directions. And it's like, I can, you know, I've had conversations on art theory in Spanish. Like I can, I, I, I'm, I'm okay in most cases. And then over there, I was like, they will find our bodies in 2037. Like, you know, I got, nothing. <laughs> I got yes. nothing. So, oh, we have a question from Pastor Chris. Sorry, I was just waxing uh, emotive there. Um, Susan has an artful and special gift for character dialogue in her Shinobi mysteries. I'm wondering how or if internal personal dialogue finds its way into her experiences while writing Climb. Absolutely. In fact, um, in the Shinobi Mysteries, Hiro, my, my detective, um, is the sort of the POV character. And periodically in the books, the books lapse into italics, which are Hiro's internal thoughts. And, you know, he not too often, but enough that I, th I think they add to the book. You know, it's, it's a way to get into his thoughts uh, because the, my narrator is third person close for all the writer geeks among us. And so... Um, as I was writing Climb, I started to realize that this book was not, there is dialogue in the book. I did preserve dialogue where I could with people. I took copious notes so that I would have the words exactly right for the book. But yes, I also discovered where Hero's internal monologues come from. Uh, there is an internal narrator in my book, and it is also in italics. And that is partly because my internal critic was absolutely uh, opinionated about some of the decisions I made over the course of my journey. And I decided to give that internal critic a voice of its own. So, yep, it's in there. Enjoy. Do, do we get arguing with the internal critic? Because I do that a all lot. the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's, all um, the time. Yes. Yeah. No, my internal critic was very fond of telling me that I was going to die uh, in moments when it was really not very helpful. Um, and so how I dealt with that and, you know, those fears. And actually there was, there was curiously, there, there was a, a dramatic evolution in my relationship with my internal voice over the course of the year. I mean, which surprised me and I didn't realize it fully until I had gotten to the end of the year and was looking back over my notes and went, wow, our relationship has changed. And that was fascinating to me. So that's something else that you will see if you read the book. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, um, that's one of those intriguing things that, when you're experiencing that minute change every day, you don't notice it because it's so small. But when you sit down and you go over compiled notes or you go back to old journal entries or whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a really huge shift. So that's, um, that's, that's one of the things I think is, is fun about reading someone else's experience. You know, like I, I can see a huge change because I'm not living the minute shift every day kind of thing. So I don't know if I said that in any way that makes sense. We're going to move on and pretend that it did. No, it does. Okay. It does. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And it, plus my internal voice is also really sardonic. And so, you know, very snarky and um, not always helpful really, but um, means well, I think. And uh, so <laughs> there's a lot of snarky internal dialogue that goes on in the book. And that was kind of fun too. I, I'm, I'm always down for snarky dialogue, internal or external. So yeah, that's my thing. But except when it's, except when it's not helpful in a life or death situation, then you're like, can you just save that for the debriefing? Be good. So, okay. Yeah. Um, yes. All right. So, uh, oh, I was, we were talking about Hiro and Father Mateo and, um, that it is a series, uh, I think I think I was saying, I hope I was saying, uh, start at the beginning because while each book is self-contained, there's also an overarching plot running through it that I'm probably not going to beg for spoilers and reveals here, but we never know. I might lose, might lose all inhibitions and just all, have no shame. But um, that is, uh, I, I'm going to mention this because we had um, a number of people who, uh, who, came to this Twitch channel originally because of the Japanese folklore and story time from Japanese history and, and those uh, presentations uh, for Gen Con. And uh, so if you are interested in the Japanese history, like this is your classic shogunate period piece, um, 
with the history running alongside these characters. So it's a really, uh, it's a really fun way to, to get that. And, um, so can we get a, a little bit of a legal teaser on what's coming next? Um, you know, oh, what is this? Is this book, is this book seven that's next? What is? Eight, book eight. Eight. Next. Book seven eight. was Ghost of the Bamboo Road. Ghost of the Bamboo Road, seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and so, so can, uh, what's, what's up with book eight? Um, book eight, well, Hiro and Father Mateo, to bring up to speed anybody who sort of has, is getting into it now, um, Hiro and Father Mateo originated, they first started out in Kyoto, where Father Mateo was basically trying to establish a mission to the common people, separately from the primary Jesuit mission, which historically worked with the samurai. And I kind of set it up that way on purpose because it gave... Um, after being in Kyoto for four books, there was a series of events that forced them to flee Kyoto. Won't give you a spoiler on that, but just know that they're now on the road. They've been on the road. They have traveled to Koyasan. They have traveled up uh, the what would become the Tokaido between Kyoto and Edo. And now they are finally arriving in Edo. So in book eight, which is called Fires of Edo, uh, they arrive in Edo, and they are having to deal with a series of fires that have broken out there. And after, in the aftermath of one of the fires the following morning, the body of a samurai is found in the burned out shop of an artisan. And the question is, what is an artisan doing with a dead samurai in his burned out shop? And how did that man get there? Because the artisan claims that he knows nothing about it. And do we have a projected release? I know 2020 has thrown so many schedules off. Do we, is that, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly, quickly pass over that because I have a book delayed by 2020 and we don't want to even bring that up. So, but is there a longer, longer view? Uh, is that a 2021 release or do we know yet? It looks like it's going to be 2021. Um, we will hopefully have an update on that soon, but I think it is going to be 2021. My apologies to everybody. I've had a book out every year since 2013, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 2020 decided to stick its finger in, in, in the eye of publishing all around. And so Freaking I think that's 2020. Yeah. Like I'm voting 2020 off the Island. We're all done. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, listen, I don't think, I think the phrase 2020 vision is going to mean something very different from we're all It really this. is. Yeah. Who, yeah. That's what did I see recently? It was like, uh, hindsight is 2020 was actually a time traveler phrase that we have totally misunderstood. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I, we're, I know we're all looking forward to 2020 being hindsight. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. So um, okay, we have another comment from Nan who says, I just discovered that our local library system has five of Susan books and Climb is listed as an option. So yay. So um, yeah. Awesome. And, um, and, and I'll just like mention, you know, for anybody out there who's not in the writing industry, um, never feel guilty about getting a library book of somebody's book. Like that is still supporting the author. The author still gets paid because somebody bought that book. Library books are great. Please get the library book. It's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Support your local libraries. Libraries are a lifeline in so many ways for so many people. Especially and, in I mean, 2020. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I found I fell in love with Japan by reading James Clavell's Shogun, which I got from the library when I was like 11. And so, I mean, seriously, like support your libraries. They are life changing. They are wonderful big plug for libraries. I am totally, you know, I, people say to me all the time, I'm so sorry. I read it at the library. I'm like, what is that to apologize for? That's, no, that's not an apology. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Read it. Yeah. Your library. Yeah. And that's another thing too, that I'll, I'll frequently tell people, like if you can't afford to buy every new book that comes out somehow, <laughs> you know, like with, a, with a lot of things, you know, requesting them at the library is a fantastic way to support an author whose work you can't afford in that moment. Like just put in a library request. It's great. Oh, she says she would like you to know that she and did way, order a copy of Climb. I'm sorry. Thank you. I was going to say, and for people who, who might not know, because a lot of people don't know this, you can go into your local library and say, I would like to order, I'd like to read book X. Can you order it? And libraries have a budget for doing that. And so, you know, you can go in and get them to order the book for you and then you can read it for free just by asking. So 
Or in 2020, you can request the book online. (laughs) You don't have to go in. Yes, uh, because, yeah, Susan is safely in Tokyo, but we're still here in the land of thou shalt not touch people. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, you order order stuff online. So, anyway, yeah. So, she has her copy coming. She ordered it last week. So, uh, you you have the libraries and and ordering. (laughs) We have covered all the bases at this point. It's fantastic. Okay. what what else uh i'm sorry i just i just there's a doberman in my lap now she just showed up um and, and you've got uh you've got a cat still near you right is she still there i introduce do. you to yes, your she's uh, on she's sleeping uh, can, can we yeah can we let's do this i'll try it here there she is Ubi. hi what Ubi's, Ubi's like i i didn't i'm busy i have important watching things to be doing so so I, like we were talking before we got started, before I realized that, um, that this would actually be a really great thing to, ha- to ask you about on the air, so to speak, um, which is uh, Ubi and your, Ubi's your cat, and then uh, you have a crow that has been coming to see you, and, and they are a little I bit do. Yeah. Yes. Um, we have, Japan is very famous for its crows. Japanese crows are very, very large. Uh, they are the Corvus procurancus or the, the large, the large billed crow. Um, it's actually Corvus japonicus procurancus, I think. Um, but the Japanese crows are, they tend to be large enough that most people from the States think they're ravens. They're very, very large. They're very smart and they live everywhere. And there is a whole family of them that lives, um, in the trees of a shrine not far from my house. And one of them has decided to sort of friend Ubi. They w- the crow will come and sit on the television antenna of the neighboring house and look in the window at her and she would look at him or her. Um, I'm not sure exactly how the crow identifies in terms of pronouns, so we'll just you know go with that. They, uh, they look in the window at Ubi and Ubi looks out at the crow. And so I decided to start giving the crow an offering every morning and so the crow likes donuts so it doesn't get a whole donut it gets pieces of a donut um every morning and so ubi will sit at the window and wait for hours for hachi which is what we call uh the crow to come and take the donut and the reason that we call it hachi is that in japanese um legend and myth crows are actually harbingers of good they are messengers of the gods and specifically they are messengers of amaterasu omikami the sun goddess and the most famous such crow is yatagarasu the eight span crow which is a three-legged crow of japanese myth and also the symbol of the kumano shrines which we mentioned earlier and so Yata, Garasu, is a way of saying eight span, meaning the wingspan of the crow, because it was supposed to be very large. But another way of saying eight in Japanese is Hachi. And so in honor of Yata Garasu, the eight span crow, I call this crow Hachi, or eight. So I feel, I'm feeling like a little bit dumb right here because I've, I've always known the crow's name as Hachi, and I've always just thought of it as the number eight in my head. But with Japanese um, phonetics being what they are, Hachi could have been something else that I just wasn't aware of. But then as soon as you said eight-span crow, I was like, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm going to catch up here. So yeah, there we go. Um, Grace in the in the chat is observing that you have an opportunity to say cronut uh, when you give Hachi his little donut pieces <laughs> in the morning. So yeah, what yeah. if I missed that? Yes, <laughs> That's okay. It makes me feel better That's about awesome. the Hachi thing. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, so okay. Great. Uh, sorry, I'm still, I'm still stuck on cronut puns. Like, it's, it's great. Um, all right. So, I mean, I'm realistically, like, I could just sit here and nerd for a while because um, I'm honestly in some sort of grieving stage withdrawal i don't know what about um missing my japan trip with you uh in october uh so excited i have uh, i should have brought him up here i have a little tiny bit of um i don't even remember what they're called but they're tiny little flower-shaped sugar candies and we bought them in kyoto last year and um on the on the street with all the candy shops and I have just a few of them left and I'm rationing them out like one every 10 days or something, because that's, I'm not getting to replenish them. <laughs> and so, uh, that I, I have no idea what they're called. I don't even know, like, they're not even my favorite thing, but they, what I have left, darn it. And, um, so anyway, they I could, I could. They were traditionally a gift. 
those actually were invented as a gift for people who came to see the emperor um, during the Edo period. No, it was pre-Edo period. Star-shaped candies. I'm sorry, we, we lost your audio there for just a second. So uh, Edo, Emperor Edo period and then something. Um, they were, the candies were gifts for people who came. That, that style of candy was originally gifts for people who came to visit the imperial family. They were, they were sort of like gifts for people who came to see the emperor. So they're, they are very, very Japanese. They are. And I, they have a little, um, a little sheet with them with all the colors and their, I don't know if they're supposed to be flavors or meanings or what. I haven't actually looked at the sheet. I just keep it tucked in, in with it just in case it is important. Um, but I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed to tell you that if I've, if I've got it out and I treat myself to my one and then it sits there and I look at it and my husband will come by and take one and I have to stop myself from being like, it's all I have. You know, like it's, it's my, my little resource guarding there. It's pathetic. Um, so, but yeah, I, uh, uh I put up a video, um, just a tiny little, tiny little snippet, um, because I, because I was trying to cheat the algorithms and I needed to get word out that we were not going to be on YouTube tonight, that we were just going to be on Twitch. So I cheated and put it on Facebook with a video so that the Facebook would, would show the post. It's how you work the system. And so I pulled, um, a little snippet of video from, uh, our visit to team labs borderless, which is the phenomenal, uh, I'm going to say art, it's a walkthrough art installation. Uh, I don't know another way to, yeah. to describe that. Um, but it's a huge it's building. Unique. It's fantastic. Everything is done with projection. If you got, you guys like go and go and hit it on the YouTubes. Um, I'm angry at YouTube right now, but you can look this up. It's okay. Um, and it's team lab borderless Tokyo and they have con constant rotating exhibits. I saw they just have a new one out. Um, I recognized the room it was in, but the, that the, uh, the, the, the lights, the, the installation itself is new, but everything is done with lights and projection and it is just phenomenal. And, um, we, we went there, uh, I think it was the first visit for both of us when we went, right? And yes, it was actually. And I've been five times since, so that's, I know, and I'm about, not like, remotely like. bitter about that at all. Like at all, um, because this is, even if you sit, even if you're sitting here thinking, oh man, like art museums are okay, but no, no, the, like, like this is the art museum that after seven hours, you're like, wait, wait, I need to go now. Like it's, it's so much fun. Everything. A lot of it it's is interactive. All, all, all of it is trippy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um. And I probably had a point to that when I started, but I just got excited and started talking about Team Lab Borderless. So that's where we are now. Go, go Google that, people watching. <laughs> Find some of the really cool stuff yes, indeed. there. In fact, I have some videos from that that I'm going to put up on, I'm going to put up as well. So there will be some more videos of that um, coming soon too on my channels. Yeah. And, oh yeah, let's talk about your channel because you are just starting a YouTube channel, right? Like where, where, I can, am. We, where I am. can we find you and what can we expect to see? Uh, my channel is just in my name, which is Susan Span, and my kind of my shtick with it is it's Span in Japan. So it's all different kinds of things about Japan. Um, right now, I have some videos that I shot, very short ones from the Hundred Summits, and one from Kegon Falls, which is a 97 meter waterfall in Tochigi Prefecture that is one of the most beautiful waterfalls in Japan. Um, I will actually be doing probably 30 minute a day daily videos edited uh, on the Kumano Kodo next this autumn. So when I go to walk it, I'm actually going to shoot video and then edit and cut so that we have basically an entire walk along the Kumano Kodo, basically like 30 minutes a day worth of video with narration, with explanations. I'm sorry about that. I know it's, you know, I wish you would I will be watching one. every one of those videos on loop. <laughs> I will probably suspend it on we my phone, like from a little wire in front of me and I'll go walk around my yard with it in front of me, like a pretending. Yeah. So go up a go. couple blocks. And then we will shoot in 2021. We will shoot it in 2021, another set of them. But um, so, and then I'm going to go to all different kinds of things. We're going to do food. We're going to go order ramen in a ramen restaurant and eat ramen. We're going to do shojin riori, which you and I ate, which is the Buddhist temple cuisine, which is amazingly, Amazing. spectacularly beautiful. So Amazing. I'm basically going to do videos on 
videos on nature, videos on culture, videos on, um, you know, everything and anything from daily life in Japan to little remote villages to eating weird foods. Uh, maybe we'll go have some basashi, which is horse meat sashimi, things like that. So it's just all different kinds of things, everything from, you know, nature and culture on. So, so, so your, your favorite new travel channel, let's, we're going to go, uh, I'm going to get my daily hit there. So, um, Okay, yeah. so Anne, I mentioned uh, newsletter. Okay, okay, so roughly once a week. All right, and I'll I'll, I'll work out a schedule here at some point. I, uh, I, you were talking about, um, uh, you know, like needing to just start and then burn the ships, and that's basically how I'm approaching this streaming video thing. Which is, uh, okay, I should probably I should probably do this. Let's just do it. It's happening now. Wonder what I'm talking great. about, you know, like, so, uh, but yeah, I do plan to actually have a schedule and, uh, and to get, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? A schedule where people can see, you know, what's going to be the topic. So tonight we're talking about craft tonight. We're talking about business aspects tonight. We're talking about what's going on in Japan with Susan and, and, and all of that. So, um, stay tuned. It'll happen. I promise. If you want to see when that happens, um, look how smooth that was. Didn't even see that change. Um, check out my newsletter and Susan's newsletter to get updates on her releases and, and things. And, uh, the, Oh, hang on, hang on. It's right. And then Susan's is right there. And so you can see our, uh, you can just head to our websites and pick up, uh, pick up the newsletter there. I believe both of us have freebies just for signing up, right? Like that's, um, I haven't figured, yes, I haven't quite got that settled in yet. So, um, okay. I'm actually just getting started with the newsletter. So, uh, patience oh, okay. and I won't, the thing I'll tell people is I spam, I do not spam you. Like I send mine, mine's about a quarterly. It's very, it's very seldom. So it's not, it's not the kind of thing where if you sign up for it, you're going to be like getting something in your inbox every 15 minutes. I mean, like, oh, what gosh, am I no. doing here? So yeah, yeah. I'm the same you'll, way. You'll it's, forget it's, you know, like, it's every two to three months, unless I have a new release in which case it might be more often, but yeah, that's, um, exactly. uh, no spam pinky swear. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen. So, yeah. okay. Um, well, we have been doing this for an hour. I just looked at the clock. That was fun. Um, <laughs> so it is there, feel like it. is there anything you want to slide in? Because, uh, I, I do, I, I, my plan is just, uh, uh, just to, expel this out. Also now I've publicly committed, right? Uh, my plan is to pull this video, um, which honestly, I'm hoping I hit record. Did I hit record? Please tell me I hit record. I did not hit record, which means I'm going to be doing some technological wonders to get this video back. And then it will get subtitles and it will go on YouTube. And, um, as soon as I get that back, so <laughs> that's how we're going to do that. And, um, then, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Just experiencing a small adrenaline spike right now. Good job, me. Um, and then that will, that will be on YouTube with subtitles, but is there anything that you want to add before we, before we quit for the evening or morning in your case? Um, yeah, just the only other thing I would mention is that if people like, uh, Japan and want to see more photos from Japan, in addition to video and things like that, that I do have a Facebook page. Um, it is, Susan Span author. And on that page, I actually do all kinds of photos, typically just about every day, photos from traveling in Japan, photos of life in Japan, food in Japan, all different kinds of things. So if you're into Japan, you want to see photos, stills as opposed to video, um, check out the Facebook page and you'll see all kinds of things. That Some is of them true weird. because, um, yeah, it is definitely a highlight in my daily um, you know, people talk about doom scrolling in social media right now, and I can, and yours is like the bright spot in the doom scroll. So, uh, positively can recommend. That's so. Yeah. I don't do any, I do no politics, by the way. I do no politics. I do no commentary. I do pretty pictures of things that are moments of peace and oddities that I find in Japan. And I do that deliberately because I don't, it's not that I don't have opinions, but, um, I feel like there are lots of opinions uh, in the world right now and you can find opinions everywhere. And some of them you might agree with and some of them you might not, but uh, I feel like people kind of need that little oasis. And that's, that's, that's how I see my role. So. Yeah. Well, I am going to call it here because we have been going over an hour and I'm 
thrilled that we got to do this and chat with you. That has been a lot of fun. Um, thank you all thank of you. you who joined us and, and gave us questions and, and whatnot. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, so Susan Spann, her new book is Climb. Uh, she also has the uh, uh, Shinobi Mysteries and we will, I, I, I don't know what's happening next week. I've got sort of ideas. I'll, I'll let you know. It'll be on a schedule. So that's my, <laughs> there's awesome. my promo. So Susan, thank you so much for being with us. And I am going to, uh, to wish you a fantastic, is it Friday? It's Friday in your world. So have a great. It is Friday and a holiday weekend. And believe it or not, this weekend is Mountain Day. Or we have a holiday for what Japan calls Mountain Day. So of all the of all the great timing. That is fantastic. All right. Well, you have a fantastic holiday weekend. And uh, the rest of us are going to slog through one Thank more you. one more day until we get to the weekend. So, all right. You can do Thank it. you. Take care. And uh, thank you thank guys you. so much for joining us. Bye.